0: Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set traps there for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. So welcome again. I have lots of scriptures today. Cuz what can I say that God's word can't say? So I've put them all on the screen for you because if you're going to flip through this, it's going to be a lot. So our primary text today is Matthew 5:14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God frequently uses opposites or contrasts in Scripture to make a point. So we're going to start with that, and we'll begin with a focus on verses 14 and 15. So first of all, our contrast. So this is our lamp. Of course, in Jesus' time, they didn't have a clear glass bowl, but for our purposes, so we can see what's going on, this is what we're not supposed to be, a light under a bowl. This is what we are supposed to be. Originally, I'd planned on taking a photo of my house, which is Columbia City. so, it's obviously a city on a hill. But I was, this sermon came a month earlier than planned, so I didn't have time to take a photograph. I needed a better camera because every time I took a picture, it turned out black. But this is probably a better rendering because this is Jerusalem. And so, most likely, this is what Jesus was talking about when he spoke these words. Um, so, this is who we're supposed to be. Are we this distinctively shiny? Are we this bright? And if we're not, why not? Do you ever ask God questions that he's already provided the answers for? I do. And this is one of the questions that I've asked him. Why doesn't it seem like there are that many bright believers? Why aren't believers as a whole as shiny as this? So the answer to my question, like I said, is provided. But as our pastor said last week, we have to do more than just read the word. We have to study it. And we have to look for clues to the meaning. So let's start at the first mention of light, which is really the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So here we have it. The very first five verses of the entire Bible, and we have one of those contrasts. This is the, if, if this is the first time we'd read the Bible and we didn't know anything, we would call this specifically a contrast between physical light and physical darkness. So we're going to come back to that. But our primary takeaway from Genesis 1 is God created light and it is good. Try to visualize what life would be like without light. Was anyone ever afraid of the dark? Many times I have had to drive a sailboat up the coast of Washington, and so it's a 24-hour trip, so you have to do it in the dark, and so John and I would take turns driving the boat, and it's dark, it's very dark. So while out there in the pitch black of the ocean, by myself in the cockpit, I was always wondering, am I gonna hit a ship? Am I going to hit a whale? Is there a container floating toward me that's going to sink my boat? I was blind to the physical world around me because of the physical darkness. So Genesis 1 points to that physical darkness, but Genesis isn't the only book of the Bible that starts with in the beginning. A lot of you know that I'm referring to the Gospel of John. So let's also go to that beginning, which incidentally discusses light all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So John here is actually alluding to Genesis 1. He's telling us that Jesus is God and that the Father was not alone at creation. Jesus is also the creator and the source of all light and life. And, of course, you remember that in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was already mentioned. So John is actually pointing to the Trinity there. He does a couple of other things that are important for us. He continues with that contrast between light and darkness. But what he does is he says it's not only this physical light and physical darkness, but it's spiritual light and spiritual darkness. So there's this contrast. The other thing he does is he gives us hope. In verse 4, he says that... In him, so meaning Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then Jesus reiterates this thought. In John, a little bit later, 8.12, he says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so wait. In Matthew, Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world, and then in John he tells us that he's the light of the world, right? Okay, well, that's because our light is not our own. It is only a reflection of God's light. So I'll say it again. Our light is not our own. It's only a reflection of God's light. We cannot create the light. We can only reflect the light. The very best example I can give you uh, of this is an Old Testament example. Exodus 43, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he has spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. So just like Moses, our light comes from being in the presence of God. There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up. It's full of light. There's nothing, also nothing in our past that persists, prevents us from accepting his free gift of light and life. It's his light, it's his gift, but we have to lay everything that we are, everything that we have, all of the baggage that we carry at the foot of the cross. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay. You guys remember I'm a school teacher, so they like things. So, God makes his light shine in our hearts when we accept him. That's just the beginning, though. It's, it's, like the, it's like an ignition. It's like the flick of this lighter. It's just the start. The flame needs fuel and oxygen to keep it lit. This one wasn't fed. It's dead already. It's out. It didn't have what it needed to survive. The light went away. So let's look at a couple of other stories that relate to darkness and light. I need to grab a book, too, because I forgot something. Okay. First, Matthew nine twenty-seven through 30. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyesight was restored. Jesus opened their eyes to both physical light and spiritual light. Can you imagine what they felt being able to see for the very first time? Maybe where you are in a place where you don't really know Jesus. And like the blind men, you need to ask him to touch you and to make you whole in him, to put his light inside of you. So after they were healed, do you think that the blind men followed Jesus for the rest of their lives? Or do you think they'd let the candle go out like ours under the bowl? Because God gives us the freedom to choose we, we have the freedom to choose him or not to choose him. But we have a responsibility for what happens to the flame. Okay, I'm going to read you another story. This is just a little excerpt of Frid- Frid- Toff Nansen. I'm not going to say his first name and again. Um, it's a story. It's t- as told by Wes Tracy. When I started working on this sermon, it reminded me of this book. This sermon has nothing to do with this book. Um, except for the title and the beginning of the story. So I'm going to read you just a little bit of this story. I must break through this deadness. At times, this crushes the very soul. Nansen, a Norwegian explorer, penned these words in his ship's log. Many expeditions to reach the North Pole by sea had ended with ice-bound ships and frozen sailors, but Nansen had studied the ocean currents. He believed that the best thing to do was trust the current of the Arctic Ocean. Therefore, in the summer of 1893, he set his ship, the Fram, adrift in the ocean current. His goal was to drift to the pole and beyond it, coming out on the other side into the sun-sparkled Pacific. But soon, the Fram was locked into frozen solidarity with millions of acres of ice in the polar ice cap. He sat there all winter. Then came a short spring and summer that thawed almost nothing. Winter found him with deck, riggings, and rudder frozen in uselessness. In the middle of that second dark Arctic winter, he wrote, Life seems as dark as the winter night outside. There is sunlight upon no other part of it except the past and the far, far distant future. I must break through this deadness. Nansen could remember the sunlight, and he hoped to see it again in a future too far distant to be of much help in a six-month polar night. After two years, the soul-crushed Nansen tried to break through this deadness by leaving his ship. With one companion, he set out to walk the North Pole, that chance. The jagged, icy terrain pounded them into submission, The two trudgers took refuge in a shell of a cave and shivered through the third winter, eating polar bear meat and remembering the sunshine and hoping to feel it again in some distant future. Maybe you are like this story. Maybe you're not like the blind man's story. Maybe you're like Nansen's story. You've known God's light, but you've let your flame grow dim. To keep the flame burning, we have to hunger for God's light, like Nansen hungered to see the light of the sun after months of darkness at a time. I had a hard time driving a boat for three or four hours in the dark. Imagine six months of total darkness. How would that change your life? Imagine how Nansen craved the light. We too must crave the light of God's presence. The fire that God lights in our hearts must be fed by being in his presence. I know you want to know the end of the story, don't you? Just so I don't leave you hanging. He did see the light again. Uh, he was rescued after three years. So imagine his joy at being delivered. You heard his journal notes about the darkness. So our joy should be so much greater. Because we've been redeemed from the blindness of spiritual darkness. So what does that living in the joy of his light look like? I think that's what verse 16 helps us. We covered verses 14 and 15 pretty well. So 516 of Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What are these good deeds that people will see and praise God because of? Well, for sure, you all know that caring for widows and orphans and any other self-sacrifice done in this, for the sake and in the name of Jesus, those would count. But the apostles Paul and John explain to us that living in the light of Jesus is also a way of being, a way of choosing. These deeds are the overflow of the heart that spends time with Jesus. The more you walk with him and look into his face, the more radiant you, believer, become. The Apostle Paul describes living in the light like this. I have some red things highlighted because we're going to come back to those later So, on a couple of these slides. So in Ephesians 5, 8-14, Paul writes, For once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of that light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper! Rise from the dead! and Christ will shine on you. But we do need Christ to shine on us. Because if we try to be good, righteous, and truthful without Jesus at the center, then we will not be full of light. We'll be reflecting ourselves and not God. Okay, the Apostle John describes living in the light like this. This is 1 John 5-7. through not 1 John as in 1 John, as in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Sorry not to confuse you. Uh, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all our sin. There is no light in us without the purification of our sin. So John has a little more to say on this subject. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So, this is one of our most important takeaways here God's light is love. Again, school teacher. You ever get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and realize that perhaps what you've been reflecting is not the glory of God? I have. Sometimes I think, oh, what just came out of my mouth did not bring glory to God and did not reflect him. But I continue to look into his reflection so that I can better reflect him, I'm going to continue to do that. So I ask you, what are you reflecting? Is anything that you're reflecting not the image of God? Are you willing to change it? Are you willing to choose Him? What are your words oh, what are your words, actions and thoughts reflecting? You can't reflect to God if you don't know Him. And to know Him, you need to read and study His word. You need to pray, both privately and corporately. Sunday mornings alone won't do it. It's not enough. It's not enough to feed the flame. It's not enough. We're going to take one more look at our text in a modern translation. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, We all make choices all day long, every day. God is calling for you to choose him over the other things in your life. As we read earlier, he's calling you sleepers to wake up. Okay, I got it. All right, he is calling you sleepers to wake up and rise from the dead so that he can cause Christ's light to shine on you. God is saying over and over again, wake up. Choose me. Choose me. Choose me over everything. He's saying, choose to feed the flame that I ignite in your soul. Don't let your light go dull. Daily choose my written word because it is a lamp that lights the path and points to Jesus, the living word, as the source of your light. Choose my son and choose to be generous with your life. Choose Jesus and choose to open up to others. Choose Jesus and choose love. Choose Jesus and choose goodness, righteousness, and truth. Choose Jesus and choose to expose the darkness in your life and leave it behind. Sleepers, what is your choice? As for me, I will answer his call. As for me, I choose to feed this spark within me until it is a bonfire fire, a bonfire pointing the way to Jesus. So my question is what do you choose? What choose you, sleepers? I choose Jesus. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus the light of the world to light a fire within us. But help us, because the light is not our own. We can't create it. But help us to choose to feed the flame that you've lit in our souls. We can't do it without you. We don't want to do it without you, but help us to choose you over everything. Your light, that is our life. In Jesus' name, amen.